Parkview. I'm on. Hello, Parkview. All right. That's uh, applause for the testimony, I presume. But if it's for me, I'll take it. My name's Tim. I'm the other Tim, and I'm glad y'all are here this morning. I hope by the time that we're done that you'll each be glad you were here too. How many sports fans we got in the house today? Sports fans, okay. And how many people are, I don't really care about sports, but if somebody I really care about cares about sports, okay. Everybody's one way or the other. Everybody either loves sports or loves somebody who does. Well, either way, you probably know something about how in sports, what a big deal that, you know, that bowls are. You know, the Orange Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, and the big one every year in February, the... Yeah, the Super Bowl. But have you ever heard of the Glutton Bowl? It's a real thing. It was sponsored by the International Federation of Competitive Eaters. It was on Fox Network. And the guys who competed in it had nicknames like Garbage Gut and Endless Pit. One guy uh, battled under the, under the name Uh, Gaseous Maximus, full gladiator gear. And I I, I love the glutton bowl because the winner didn't look like the kind of guy you expect him to look. The winner was 5'8", 130 pounds. I mean, they had been eating whole sticks of butter. They'd been eating cow tongue. They had been eating mayonnaise straight out of the jar with a spatula. That's nasty. And, and, the, and the winner looks not like this. Winner didn't look like that. Winner looked a lot more like this. <laughs> he did, really. Really. It's interesting thing. I'm a big fan of Gilligan's Island. I grew up on Gilligan's Island. Did you know that all the main characters on Gilligan's Island, they were all, those seven characters were based on each of the seven deadly sins. True story. Think about this with me. For instance, this, I'll start with an easy one. Ginger, you know, the sexy, slinky movie star. You know, what's she represent? Look, guys, let the women say it. <laughs> Lust. Uh, <laughs> oh, Marianne, you know, the little, the little simple farm girl, but she really wants so much to be, you know, like Ginger. So she is Envy. Now, the professor, he was a nice guy, but he was so smart. He was, he was intellectually arrogant, wasn't he? Pride. Keep going. Thurston Howell III, the millionaire, would obviously be greed. And his wife, Lovey, remember how she was always sitting around wanting somebody else to wait on her, always in the shade, never lift a finger to do nothing. Sloth, which is old-timey word for, you know, Laziness. Now, the skipper, he was a big guy, but remember how what he always did almost in every episode, he'd take off his hat and, you know, hit Gilligan over the head. He was always losing his temper, wasn't he? So he was, yeah, he was anger, but it was Gilligan. Gilligan, the character, was designed around what we're talking about today, around gluttony. See, he, he, his, his fatal flaw, his, his deadly struggle in his life was he could just eat huge amounts and he really couldn't resist. And if you know the show, I mean, like his favorite thing in the world was like coconut cream pie. And even though he was a little dude, he had a, a, a big issue with what we're talking about today. And on the front end, I, I, I have to 
uh, make a confession. This is something I've struggled with all my life. Don't, don't let my size or lack thereof fool you. I can eat. I overeat. I've been overeating since I was a kid. Uh, my personal best, one time I ate 26 pieces of pizza in one sitting. Not, and not like the little squares either. Like full-size slices, 26 of them. My wife and I, we have a, 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 a 10-year-old daughter. And the other day, she had a little friend over for a sleepover, and they wanted to bake cookies. And so they made, they made, they made two dozen cookies. I ate 22 of them. Made two little 10-year-olds cry. <laughs> Mom, he ate all the cookies. He couldn't have eaten all the cookies. How much did each of you have? We only got one. He ate 22. She, my wife looks at me and she just goes, where do you put it all? She, she, she's amazed. Actually, she's kind of horrified. But seriously, don't, don't let the size fool you. I, I, I got a problem with what we're talking about today. I just don't look like it because I've been given the metabolism of a weasel on crack. <laughs> Pretty much. I struggle with this, but I know I'm not the only one. It's not, this is such an easy thing to struggle with. Maybe you've heard this. Somebody sent this to me. I'll just read it to you. And God populated the earth with broccoli and cauliflower and spinach, green and yellow vegetables of all kinds, so man and woman would live long and healthy lives. And he saw that it was good. Then Satan created McDonald's, which brought forth the 99-cent double cheeseburger. And Satan said to the man, you want fries with that? And the man said, supersize it. And God created yogurt. And that humans might stay in good shape. But Satan froze the yogurt and brought forth chocolate fudge and chocolate chips and brightly colored sprinkles to put on the yogurt. And man said, yum. And God said, try some crispy fresh salad. But Satan brought forth creamy dressing, bacon bits, croutons, and shredded cheese. So God brought forth running shoes and treadmills. And Satan brought forth cable TV with remote control so no man would ever have to get up from the couch to change between ESPN and ESPN2. <laughs> and God brought forth the potato, a vegetable naturally low in fat and brimming with nutrition. And Satan peeled off the skin and sliced it into chips and deep fried them. And he created onion dip as well. And man clutched his remote and ate the chips, swaddled in cholesterol, and Satan saw it and said, It is good. And man said, I'm going into cardiac arrest. So God created quadruple bypass surgery. Then Satan created HMOs. <laughs> that wasn't nice. If you work for, that wasn't nice. I apologize. <clears throat> that wasn't nice if you work for one of those, but it was true. Come on now, the correlation between the way we eat and, and the things that Casey was talking about in, in that courageous testimony he gave, and we're going to see a little bit more of it later, it, it, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, liver disease, uh, cholesterol issues, um, in some cases, some kinds of cancer. Man, healthcare professionals are telling us that we've got a dietary epidemic on our hands, and I think that we all know it's true. Here's some more stats for you. The average American adult takes in 3,576 calories a day, which is almost twice the recommended amount for anybody. The average grown-up eats 126 
pounds of sugar a year. The average teenager eats 400 pounds of sugar a year. Why all our teenagers don't weigh 400 pounds? I, I, I don't know. How about this one? But just the average American adult, 52 teaspoons of fat a day with 7 teaspoons of salt. Imagine putting 52 teaspoons of fat in a bowl with like 7 teaspoons of salt and mixing it all up with a spoon. You'd have a hard time getting that, that, that spoon out of that bowl, let alone that stuff out of your arteries. And for anybody who's here today, and you struggle not just with the eating thing, but it, has a, it does have a, a correlation on your struggles with weight and size. I just want to say up front, the pain that's involved in that, I, the frustration. But I also want to say to everybody here, this is not about size. This is not about weight. It's not about that. Like I said, most of my life, I've been that guy who ate too many calories in too many sort of body-polluting, artery-clogging sorts of forms. I, I, I just don't look like I do necessarily. And, and is it any wonder with all that's stake here? Look, look at this one thing God says in Scripture. This is from the Old Testament. God says this. He says, do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves. There's a word for you, gorge. Gorge themselves on meat. And, and I, and I, and I, I want to start with one of those do nots because I'm so glad you're here today. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, let me ask you, don't say out loud, but how do you see God? When you hear a do not, in church. I mean, is God just the God of rules and no and don't? I mean, is there something in your, in your spirit that tries to tell you that, that, that God is kind of like a divine spoil sport who's just laying down the rules and trying to take the fun out of everything? Or do you know down deep in your knower that the only God who is is the God who really truly cares about you and not just the spiritual aspect of you but all of you including your physical health and your physical well-being how, how do you see God this morning but I tell you what I really believe with this whole tendency to to overdo certain things I really believe that God's main concern for us isn't primarily physical L look at this verse uh, talking about uh one aspect of this struggle refers to folks, their, their destiny is destruction and their God is their stomach. How would somebody, what does that mean, their God is their stomach? It doesn't mean they're actually going to a church that's shaped like a big abdomen, you know, or a big belly. No, it's, it's, like, it's like going, it means, it, it, it means their appetite has become, in, the, in this particular verse, food, their, their, their appetite has become the central thing. It drives their life. It has this place in their life that's calling the shots. A place that only God was meant to have. But having said that, I want to be ultra clear about this. Not only is what we're talking about today, y'all, not about somebody's physical size or weight. It's also not just about food. Because gluttony can be anything a person tends to overeat. 
overindulge in. Maybe what a person overindulges in is not hot fudge Sundays, but how much they work on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And, you know, maybe you go, oh, you know, I'm not a workaholic. I just love to work. Or maybe you know you're a workaholic and you know that you just, I just can't stop. And like, if I don't work, if I'm not working, I just start to freak out and I just can't really relax. I got to always be doing something. And, and again, what, whatever it is, is it possible that what you gorge yourself on is work and activity instead of food? Somebody knew this was coming. Same thing can be true with sex. I, I, I'm a professional counselor and for Many years I've known many people who I care about and respected very much who had a struggle with overindulging in, in sexual stuff, whether it's getting sexual with other people or whether it's online stuff or whether it's, you know, self-stimulating stuff. Yeah, I said self-stimulating in church. You heard it right here. And uh, uh, I've known a lot of people that there's just... Just, 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 just an overindulgence, and it, and, and it, it just drives them, and and and, and the, the fallout, and the and the danger and the agony of it can be just immense. I mean, but it's not just those things. It it can be other things. There's there's struggles that we can have with uh, uh, drinking. Think about this. Why why isn't why isn't drunkenness one of the seven deadlies? Well, it is. Because that's what gluttony is. It's overindulgence in alcohol. You know, why, why isn't gambling in one, of, in one of the seven deadlies? Well, it is. Because overindulgence in gambling is a form of gluttony. Are you with me now? It's not about somebody's size. It's not necessarily just about food. Are we clear on that? You can say yes, no, or I don't know. Are we clear on that? Okay. Is it about anybody's size? No. Is it just about food? Good. Thank you. Thank you. We are tracking. We are tracking. It's really interesting. You know, see, gluttony comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes. It interests me. You know, all my life I heard that parable that Jesus told, you know, the parable of the prodigal son. How many have heard the parable of the prodigal son? Yeah. I always thought prodigal meant like rebellious. Didn't you? I thought prodigal meant like wayward. That's not what the word prodigal means. The word prodigal means excessive. Look at the words from Luke 15, how he was described. This is the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off to a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. He, he, he went too far. He, he spent too much. He, he partied too much. He, he, he lived wild too much. And the result was that he found himself a long way from home and a long way from father. And even though so much is at stake today, folks, what we're talking about today I mean, physical health is at, strength, is, 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 is at stake. Some people's jobs are at stake. Some folks' marriages are at stake. But see, these things in our life tend to take the place that belongs only to God. Our, our tendency to giant-size anything in our life creates these giants that try to take the place that belongs to only God. And so what are we going to do? What I want to talk to you today is about bringing down whatever giant of overindulgence you might have in your life. 
and whatever giant of overindulgence I might have in my life. And obviously, if I'm going to talk about giants, you know where I'm going to go biblically with you know, the, probably the most famous story of the most famous giant in the world other than Shaq. You know, the, the, there's this famous giant. You know, the, the, the people of God you know, at, the, at the time, the good guys, the Israelites, and their, their arch enemies, the Philistines, they were camped out on two sides of this valley. You know, one, ba- one, one, one group of soldiers is over here and one group of soldiers is over here and they're fixing to fight. And the Philistines start saying, uh, hey, let's just, let's just do a, our best guy against your best guy thing. Let's just do a winner take all, mono a mono thing. You send out your best guy and we'll send our best guy and we'll settle it that way. And of course, you know why the Philistines want to settle it that way? Because their best guy was a giant named, right, Goliath. And Goliath, it's really interesting. Goliath wasn't just big and strong and skilled in battle. Goliath was somebody who talked some serious trash. Look at this from Scripture, from 1 Samuel 17. I mean, he's standing on one side of the valley, and he's saying, any of you pansies want a piece of me? My paraphrase. Goliath talks smack, and it was interesting. Nobody from the, from the good guy's side said one word back to him. Not, nobody even shouted out a single, your mama. <laughs> Until somebody else came on the battlefield, a mere boy, only a boy named, yeah, and I love what he said. He says, all my life I've been in dangerous situations and the Lord's been rescuing me and God's got this. God's with me. God's got this. So here we go. Bringing down the giant in your life. Here's the first thing I think we need to do. And I struggled with, with whether or not I was going to phrase it this way because I didn't want to come across as like, you know, over the top and, you know, overly melodramatic. But I don't think this is, is over the top and I don't think it is melodramatic. I think it's just real, real of where we need to start with whatever giant you got in your life, whatever giant of overindulgence you've got in your life, whatever has too giant of a place in your life other than God. Because you know what? God can't have too big a place in your life. God's meant to be the only truly giant person, truly giant, dominating, calling the shots, center of everything thing in your life and mine too. Whatever giant you've got in your life, if it's not God, you need to declare war. I know that sounds very dramatic, you know. Declare war. But think about the analogy here. I, I, I think about back with the horror and the tragedy of 9-11. And after, after 9-11, uh, the president didn't stand before the country and say, he, he, he didn't say, think about it. He didn't say, terrorism is a very big problem, and so we're going to try hard to, to combat it. No, he didn't say that. And he didn't say, terrorism is a very serious thing, and so we're going to get serious about stopping them. No. What did he do? He declared war on terror. And when, the, and, and when the president declared war on terror, he was saying, he was saying our country and our military, we're, as a group, we're going to bring together all of our resources to win this war. And uh, I don't think it's melodramatic. I don't think it's over the top. In a similar kind of way, if there's a giant, 
in your life of overindulging in anything. If there's like that in my life, I'm, well, I, hope, I hope nobody comes in here today and says, oh, yeah, they're right. I need to try harder. I need to do something. I need to get on that. Okay, you're right. I'll, 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 I'll try harder. Please, we have failed just horrendously. Epic fail today. If anybody walks out of here going, that was a nice reminder to try harder to do better. No, no, friends. With what's going on in our lives, somebody here needs to say, it's time to draw a line in the personal spiritual sand of my life and say, enough is enough. Too much is too much. This means war. And I am ready. I have decided to bring together all necessary resources to win this thing. Because nobody, no one, no thing, nothing is going to take the place in my life that belongs only to the true and living God. So on this one, don't say out loud. But right now, in the privacy of your own heart and mind, think about your life. Come on now. I know it's church. I know it's easy. Just let stuff go in one ear and out the other. Think about other stuff. What we're going to do later. What we're going to do later. It's going to be there later. Don't worry. Right now, let's do some work, y'all. Got anything in your life that is just too much? And there's a, a giant of overindulgence. And will you declare war right here, right now, today? Enough is enough. Too much is too much. Overindulgence is a giant. And it's time to bring it all together to put this thing down. So that's the first thing. First thing. What's the first thing? I'm sorry. What's the first thing? Okay, thank you. First thing is declare war. Here's the second thing. Uh, once I declare war, I also need, no, I need to know something about preparing for battle. You know, we hear that story of David and Goliath, and we focus on the moment where one little stone goes into the sling, and the sling goes round and round, and the stone goes in the air, and the giant comes tumbling down. We focus on that moment where, you know, giant, you know, Goliath gets plunked right between the eyes and just like, uh, keels over. And they go, and you know, that's when the battle was won. Well, that's when the battle was won, but that's not what won the battle. Because so much of what won the battle that day was preparing for that battle. Think about it. More sports analogies. Think about uh, just, just all the greats. I mean, if, it, if it's hockey, sorry, Hawks fans, but there's only one hockey player who's known as the great one. Who's the great one? Yeah, Wayne Gretzky. There's a picture of Gretzky. Or you think about basketball players. You know, this, this is more from kind of my day. But, you know, golly, guy couldn't jump. Wasn't fast, unbelievable. Or, you know, it's always good to see, always good to see Michael again, right? Man, no matter how well the Bulls do, I, just, I miss him. I miss him so much. And, uh, or or think, of, uh, think about somebody like Peyton Manning. Why, why is Peyton Manning the guy that's setting every record for quarterbacks? It's not because of how they play in the game alone. It's how he, Peyton Manning's known for how he prepares for the game. It's how he prepares for the game before Sunday 
or Saturday or Monday night or whenever it is that, 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 that makes him victorious on the gridiron. And see, David was like that. David didn't just walk up to the battlefield that day and go, oh, let's see, I don't know, what's that? Oh, a slingshot. Yeah, I'll give that a shot. No, all his life he'd been using a slingshot. He'd been, he'd been a shepherd since he was teeny tiny. He'd been working on his aim for years and years, even though he wasn't, an old, wasn't, wasn't a person of significant age. See, listen, when you declare war, you don't need to just fight. You need to prepare to fight. There's a difference between fighting and preparing to fight. I don't know what you tend to overindulge in, but to win the war, please don't think today that it's just about what you do the next time you feel like overeating or feel like overdrinking or feel like overindulging in some, some uh, illicit sexual kind of activity or you, you feel like you know, going too far with the gambling thing or you feel, you, or you feel like you know, finishing off that second pack of smokes. To, that, that's not the moment. That's not the moment that you need to focus on. Talk to anybody. I got so many close friends who are in recovery and 12-step movement. And uh, really, what, what are addictions? Addictions are, are, are a form of gluttony, of too much. And anybody who's had any significant experience in recovery, people who I like to think of as like sobriety warriors and recovery soldiers, they'll try it. They'll tell you that they don't just try to stay sober. They train to. They work on developing their conscious contact daily with God. And they go to group meetings, whether they're feeling like relapsing or not. Whether they're having a good day or bad day, they still go to the meetings. Anybody in recovery who's experienced knows what I'm talking about. And the reason they do that is because they know that it's not about trying, it's about training. And with whatever you're struggling with in your life, I'm not asking you to try harder. The odds are you're already trying. And that's why it hurts so much. You try so hard. But maybe what you're not doing, maybe you're not training. You're fighting, but you're losing. Maybe it's be not because you're not fighting. Maybe it's because you haven't yet learned to prepare for, for, for the fight. We see this in Jesus' life. You know, Jesus was famous. Look at the, these words from Luke chapter 5. It talks about Jesus and how he often withdrew to, what it says, to lonely places, got off by himself to pray. And I know we can hear that and go, well, of course Jesus did that because Jesus was Jesus and Jesus was spiritual and Jesus just did Jesus-y things. No. Is Jesus-y a word? It is now. No, he knew that life was a battle every day. Life's other things too, but it's at least a battle every day with something. And when he was going off and getting by himself like that to connect with his heavenly father, he was preparing for battle. Is this making sense? Again, you can say yes, no, or I don't know. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. But see, he didn't just do the, the alone thing. He, he had his disciples around. We always think that Jesus did what he did with the disciples for them. You know, he's training them to carry on the mission after he's gone, which is true. But what, do you ever think about the disciples were there for him? The night before he dies on the cross, what does he say? He says, I'm going to go be alone for a while. No, he takes Peter, James, and John, his closest friends, his, his brothers at arms, and says, come, come and pray with me and stay awake with me and sit with me. He didn't want to be alone for the greatest battle of his life. See, they, he wasn't just for them. They were for him. Listen, 
if, if Jesus needed a band of brothers around him, why would I think that I wouldn't? Come on now. If Jesus knew he needed to live in certain ways to, 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 to please his heavenly Father and, and experience life to the fullest, if, if Jesus, why would I think, well, I don't need to do the stuff Jesus did. I, I, need to, I needed more than he ever did. Come on. Do you have a group of people who know what giant you're struggling with? Somebody in this house today, and I promise I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. Somebody in this house today, whatever giants you got, it's a secret. Or maybe just one or two people who participate in it with you know, and nobody else knows. I'm not trying to bust you out. I'm not trying to call you out. I'm trying to call you up. I'm not trying to bring you down. God's trying to bring you up out of that stuff. You need a band of brothers if you're male. You need a band of sisters if, if, if you're female. Somebody who's going to help you prepare for battle. So first is declare war. Second is prepare for battle. And here's another reason why you need this band. Here's the third thing. Give me the third thing. Celebrate little victories. Celebrate little victories. See, this is where the, the, the David and Goliath analogy doesn't quite totally fit. Because, because the Goliath, he comes tumbling down in just one moment, one shot. That's, you know what, the giants in our lives aren't going, most of them. I mean, God can do whatever he wants. Don't get me wrong. But most, most of the giants aren't just going to come falling down just, just one shot. We know that it's going to be a day by day one day at a time thing. And along the way, you really need some people around you because you need someplace to celebrate. When you're, when you're up against a big old problem, a big old giant, you need some place to celebrate small victories. Even if that small victory was followed up, back by, a, followed up by a setback or, 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 oh, man, I blew it again. But you need that place where you can go, well, you know what? This week wasn't all wins, but here, I got four guys I meet with every Tuesday morning. Almost every Tuesday morning we meet and, and we talk about what's going on in our lives. And we pray for each other and we encourage each other. And, we, and, you know, and some of those guys have been Christ followers for a long time. Some of them just, just became Christ followers within the, last, within the last few months. One guy just, one dude just got baptized this week. It was awesome. And, and well, what are we getting together? No, no, we're, pre we're preparing for battle and we've got this context for celebrating even the smallest victory. And last but not least, here's the, here, here's the fourth thing. Give me the fourth thing. Frog. Yeah, it's frog. But you see it's an acrostic or acronym or whatever you call those things. And it stands for fully rely on God. I love what David said after the giant came tumbling down. He said, the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. He's saying, you know, it's not about the particular weapons we use. And because he, he says, the battle is the Lord's. Please don't think that it's about finding the right book. And I believe in finding the right counselor, but it's not about just, it's, oh, if I can only find the right counselor, if I can only, you know, get, you know, get in, the, you know, in, in, in the right support. All of that matters, but it is not about technique. It is not about what we try. Ultimately, y'all. We got a frog, man. We got to fully rely on God and go, ultimately, this battle is the Lord's. Listen to the rest of Casey's thing here. Check it. For us, 
As we got healthier and healthier, part of the spiritual part of it was, was really figuring out what the heart of gluttony was. It wasn't about the eating, and it wasn't about you're a bad person because you eat too much, or you drink too much, or you do too much of anything. The heart of gluttony for us was that we really had to wonder and trust and question and believe whether God was enough. We had to live at that place where God was enough. And when we found out was enough was an incredibly healthy place to be. And so we've been there ever since. What is God to you? Is God just a piece? Is God just a box among many boxes? And here's my eating box over here, and here's my God box over here. But when eating or anything we overindulge in starts to help us to cope with things, you know, there's this God over here in this box who desperately wants to step in and say, you know, I can handle that. I'm, I'm kind of good at this thing. I'm, I'm built for it. And frankly, you're built to let me do that. And so we really came to that point of saying, boy, if this all changes if God's enough. Did, did you catch that last phrase? This all changes if God is enough. All right, here we go. I don't know what giants you're struggling with. I don't know what you're going through. But I'm here to remind you today that it's not about you. It's about God. And God is enough. God is big enough. God is strong enough. God is powerful enough. God is wise enough. God is present enough. God is committed enough. God is enough to get you through whatever you're going through. And I want to remind you today that if you're in Christ, greater is he that is in you than he, than any giant that's in the world. Is God enough? Do you know him today? God is enough. God is loving enough to never leave you. God is merciful enough to always forgive you. God is sufficient enough to save you. God, God, God is consistent enough to always be there for you. Is God enough for you today? I'm here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It may not feel like it. It may not feel like it, friends, but good news. Jesus shows us who God is. Jesus shows us how much God cares. Jesus shows us what God's about. And God is enough. Let me see your hand if you receive this message today. All right, all right. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray for every hand that was raised and every hand that was not. I pray for me. Help us to know. Help us to know. Help us to move into the reality that you indeed, you Lord, this battle's yours. You got this. You got this. That you are enough.